Welcome to At Home with Kelly and Tiffany, where naturally-minded women gather together as we pursue simplicity and confidence in health alternatives so we can show up better in our busy lives and feel more at home in our bodies. Join your favorite home birth midwife duo for conversation, candor, and community. You are at home with Kelly and Tiffany. Yes, you are. And if you're listening to this as this episode is released, you're like winding down 2022. This episode comes out the day after Christmas. Wow. I wonder who is listening. I would say most of our listeners listen the day or two after it comes out. Yes. I am not going to be listening to anything on the 26th and 27th of this month. I feel like that's the time where you're in like a vortex of like, who am I? What day is it? What am I doing with my life? Why is there so much trash (laughs) still in my house? And it's like happy and wonderful, but I'm not really like getting stuff done. No, no, no. Yeah. Maybe you're you're listening to a podcast that you really like while you're not getting things done. Yeah, yeah. So you're listening to us because you really like it. Happy December 26th, you guys. Congratulations. Is it weird that Christmas is on a Sunday this year? Throwing me off. I don't know. A day of the week. I want it to be during... I want it to be on Wednesday. So there's the maximum amount (laughs) of days off of commitment. Where you can really be like, oh, Christmas. Christmas (laughs) in the middle of this week. When it's on Sunday, it's like, oh, well, we'll give you Monday off. Right. Not fair. Continue as usual. Yeah, that's a good point. And the New Year's ends up being on Sunday to Monday also, right? Mm. Isn't isn't New Year's on a Monday? It's seven, the 31st. 25 plus, <laughs> plus seven. Six, seven. So yeah, it'll be the same day. Nah. That probably happens every year. <laughs> we are so ready for the end of the In year. In a few years, it'll be on Wednesday. And maybe we'll still be recording and we'll all be very happy with the conclusion of this storyline. We are not going to remember <laughs> that this was important to us. All right, guys. So today we are going to chat about what we did with our year professionally. Yeah, there's a whole lot to say. But looking over what our year actually looked like as a practice, as focusing on home birth, well, woman, all of the things that we've done this year, it's like been really sweet to reminisce. There's been some amazing things that have happened this year. And I think that people generally get curious about what yeah. does that actually look like? We get to see images of women birthing. We get to talk about birth in social media spaces. We get to share ways that we prevent maternal disease right. and options and stuff. But it's not common that we end up sharing statistics of an entire period of time or little tidbits of clinical care Yes, from that angle. So that's what we're going to share today is our stats from the year. Our beautiful online charting system kind of tracks all that for us if we click the right boxes and such. That's important. So while I was compiling this information, I was reading some statistics and I'm like, that cannot be right. So then I went back into everybody's <laughs> chart and looked myself. And for the most part, it really was actually oh, correct. So good. I wasted a massive amount of time collecting information for this podcast. Thank you, Tiff. And in order to soothe myself before we begin, I'm going to read some positive reviews. <laughs> this will make it worth it. It will make it worth it. I want to share two reviews this morning because of my plight. 
This is just this is going to help me, you guys. Okay. As you know, when we read your review on the air, it's because we liked it. Congratulations. You gave us a five-star review. And that means that we will buy you a drink, any drink of choice. You just have to reach out to us and let us know. You heard us. Read your review on the show. You know, it's kind of like those radio contests where, like, they say your name, like, you're the winner. But, like, if you're not listening. Oh, my gosh. Then you could lose out on, uh, I don't know. Millions of dollars. I was going to say John Mayer tickets or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or millions. Yeah. So you'll actually, you're going to have to contact us within the next four minutes. If you want your drink. <laughs> Just kidding. Anytime. Anytime you say, hey, that review is mine. Yes. We have no way to verify if it was actually yours or not. On our system. Uh, but yes, we will buy you a drink. It is such a gift to us when you guys rate so and review. Even just a rating. Just yep. tapping those five stars, not Tap. four, as we have previously Discussed misled you. At length. Five. Five-star five reviews. <laughs> Nothing less than five. <laughs> if you want to rate us less than five, then please stop listening to the podcast. Yeah, just move along. That's better. There's so many better podcasts out yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> this review comes from Maria R13. She says, I love all the content on this podcast of theirs. I also follow them on social media and obsessed with them. <laughs> LOL. Keep it up, ladies. Hey. Heart emoji. I like, well, the heart emoji really solidified it. Well, it just makes it look so pretty. Sweet. Yeah, the emo- true. emojis just make the review look pretty. Softens it up. I agree. Maria R13. Super sweet. You, We acknowledge your obsession. We're obsessed with you. Oh, oh and for Kinda this creepy. episode, we are. <laughs> you love us. We love you. We will it's buy great. you a drink. Our second review Thanks. comes from one Annie M. It's hard to know how to read these. Um, it's true. Whatever these are. Yep. Handles. But I think I've got it. One Annie M. One Annie M. Annie M. Oh. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Just one of them. Another five-star review. Excellent resource for women, she says. I've been listening to these midwives for some time, and I find them informative and knowledgeable, approachable. Can you even be that in a podcast? She (laughs) says. And encouraging. I can't wait for more amazing content. You found it. Here it is. Amazing content reading your (laughs) review back to you. <laughs> that is, I do like it when somebody reads my stuff back to me. For sure. I'm like, like, oh, that was crazy. I spent time on that. Yes. And somebody appreciated it. I just personally love that she can sense our approachability uh, yeah. through audio. Yeah. And I will say, as somebody like before I got into birth work or even beginning birth work, for some reason, there was a a sense of like, midwives being on this like pedestal or something of like oh I could never quite get there or have relationship for some reason it just like was in my brain that it was just not like a friendship sort of situation and obviously being in the work for so long you realize like that's just and I love that we can be here in this space and potentially be your first access to midwifery and who midwives are and have it be like, oh, there's, they're clinically skilled and all that, but like they're just people. We are just people. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we have so many flaws, as you've learned listening you have. to this show. But we're like, you know, it it it, it is an approach. It should be an approachable type of care. That's the type of care that we give. It's very relational. 
So it's kind of it's a gift to hear that that comes across here. Yeah. And I have been in plenty of interactions with other midwives where I'm like, why do you care for women? Why? Mm -hmm. Why are you in a space where you think you're caring for women? Because it doesn't seem like it. No. Right. Which segues (laughs) Mm. into. Thank you for bringing us back. It it does truly segue. It truly segues into Kelly. Consider, because, you know, this is our fourth year of practice. Wow. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it took me, like, 17 years to become a midwife. Took you, like, two years. <laughs> <laughs> so, combined, <laughs> we have been, we've been doing midwifery for Decades. 37 years. <laughs> but, I mean, thinking about my journey into midwifery, I think started in, like, 2013. Mm-hmm. is when I entered midwifery school. Imagine yourself in midwifery school, and we touched on it a little bit already, compared to now where we're at, which is truly still just beginning, right? Right. What is it like to transition from doula work to midwifery work to student midwifery work to your own practice? I know we have a lot of people who work in birth who listen and follow us, and I have never seen such a stark transformation of my ideas about birth through the different roles that I'd played. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I first announced that I was going to midwifery school after becoming a doula, a lot of people were like, oh, that makes sense. It was like the next logical step was midwifery work. And I was like, actually, that could not be more wrong. Like, it's just not necessarily a lot. It does not mean one for one. Uh, doula work is very specific to loving and caring and emotionally being there, physically being there. But the clinical piece is pretty absent. You can throw in some like, I read this or whatever. But the actual clinical care of somebody steps you into an entirely different level of responsibility in particular and the weight of that, the heaviness of that, and recognizing in one role you're there to support, but in the other role you actually really have this transformative ability to make clinical decisions with Mm -hmm. your client that can really change their lives. Not saying that doulas don't support in that way too. I know like I had plenty of births where I was like, dang, that was really transformative what just happened between us here. But I still had to say your care provider is the one who, right? is in charge like you're in charge of course but like who you've chosen to care for you in that way is a huge aspect and so I just think it's been uh, um, really fascinating it really humbled me to go into midwifery school and then it really excited me to get out of midwifery school and be like we're going to do this on our own like and our we get this I you know our own ideas of how we want to practice and what I thought how we wanted to practice ended up I mean not being completely different, but it really shifted as we actually saw the care that we were providing change people's lives or people be changed through it and because of it. And I have become way less hands on or way less interested in like, what can I do more so than like, what is happening in front of me? And how am I witnessing this transformation? It's just way less about me. I think I thought it was going to be a lot about me and it's really not. Yeah. And like, what a beautiful thing to recognize. Yeah. Right. As you actually do take on more responsibility for somebody's experience in some ways. Yeah. Recognizing that not you. I consider our 
backgrounds in doula work to be completely foundational to the type of care that we're able to give. I agree. Only because I hear experiences and I've been a part of care with other midwives who don't have that same foundation. And I think a lot of people miss the advocacy that is available inside of home birth midwifery because there's so much given inside of midwifery care at home that is not available inside of other birth settings. And I think people often can make the mistake of, oh, well, it's so much better than the standard of care inside of a hospital or inside of the medical system. And Uh so we're just going to be really content with that. But there is also a lot of advocacy that can happen inside of home birth midwifery too. And yeah, absolutely. We learned that from hearing other women's experiences with other flavors or other approaches to home birth midwifery care where women can still feel like they weren't heard and that they didn't have the options that they desired inside of it. Yeah, there's no one size fits all. And it's not just finding a midwife and being like, well, they're a midwife, so they check the box. There's so much to it. But the same thing with any type of care provider, right? We can't put everybody in the same box. No, I guess we can't. Nope, not going to do it. (laughs) We are going to do another episode sometime on sorting through the different midwifery styles, different mm. midwifery care styles. Yes. Just so you know. Heads up, Kelly. Yep. Great. Now I'm I'm prepared. I'm going to write that down. I have a lot to say about that, so I won't say it now. Okay. Great. So before we dive into homebirth statistics, I would say that the number one thing that people end up getting curious about is how can homebirth be safe? How can we operate this type of medical experience outside of a facility that has access to emergency equipment. And, you know, we've we've talked at length about safety in other spaces, and we can link to some of those, like, episodes and things below. But I think that it goes back to it's not just about the birth. I feel like the type of care that we are able to provide helps decrease risk substantially over the months that we work together before you have your baby. And so that that's one of the, my favorite aspects of midwifery care is that we're not just like, well, we'll respond. Of course, we're going to respond if we need to respond to something. But we're also keeping such close personal tabs on our people that if anything seems somewhat uh, of a little, even if it's the tiniest flag, it's on our radar of like, well, that's not quite normal. That's not quite what we would like to see. Let's talk about that and talk about some ways that we can help decrease your risk forward. Yeah. So prevention is a huge part of how mm-hmm. we keep people safe. We also don't work with anybody who has any high risk issues happening, yep. right? Which is kind of unfortunate. There's actually some laws in California that restrict us in ways that we potentially would not necessarily agree mm-hmm. are high risk, but we follow them anyways most of the time. But It does truly keep the concept of home birth safety intact when you limit who can fit into the safety uh, bucket. And sometimes that is, you know, physical things going on with someone's body. And sometimes it's emotional stuff going on, too. I mean, like home birth is just not for everybody, even if you are the most most healthy, low risk person, if you don't want to home birth. (laughs) 
home birth might not be for you if Please that is don't really that what you don't yourself. want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and don't do that to your midwives either. Mm-mm. They would prefer you just be in the place where you want to. Yeah. Where you want to have a baby. With that being said, I wish midwifery care was more accessible for everybody because even if you are in a high-risk situation, it doesn't mean that you don't deserve the type of care that is provided by midwives prenatally. Absolutely. I'm going to link... In our show notes, the graphic that we have on Instagram that compares care models, how the midwifery model of care operates as a philosophy versus the medical Mm -hmm. care system, because I feel like that's a really good way to try to understand, like, well, our midwives just like being nice to you and like letting you be comfortable in your own home. And it's just so much bigger than that. And I want to share that with you guys. Yeah, that's a solid one, it's probably one of like our most shared little infographic things, too, of people being like, oh, actually, this is really helpful to assess. How do I view pregnancy and birth and postpartum? What model do I fall under and what makes me more comfortable? Yeah, no wrong yeah. answers here. It does help to see that all maternity and obstetrical care is not the same. Okay, so where does one find information about home birth safety If you want to try to dive into that topic in particular and you don't just want to hear people talking about it, where do the actual facts live? So most of the time we just hop onto Google and we're like, what are our keywords? Home birth safety. Google will lead you down everybody else's opinion about why you shouldn't have a home birth pretty much. I think the first like couple pages are like pages. Yeah. Of like, here's why it's so dangerous and yada, yada, yada. Or like home birth is on the rise. But so you can hop onto Google if you need to and type in MANA, M-A-N-A stats. And that is the what Midwives Association of North America. Yeah. Yes. Or open up a private browser and just not be on Google. You duck, duck, go yourself. Yes. And you hop onto, I think it's mana. Mana.org? Probably. Yeah. But that'll be in the show notes, probably. I you will put it in, in, the, in there. I'll put it in the show notes. But there are thousands of families who are in their most recent study that have been followed across North America on all different types of safety factors, not only just outcomes of mom and baby are alive and thriving. But what does the VBAC stat look like? What does tearing and transfers and need for medication, those types of things? It's a really great, well-rounded study that's just based on what is actually happening at home. Yeah, and it's midwifery reported. So midwives have volunteered to provide their statistics for their practice in order to contribute over 16,000 pieces of data, which that's a huge study, you guys. That's a huge amount of information that looks at all kinds of outcomes like Kelly mentioned. And it is not just the organization that's reported it. It is a official landmark Mm -hmm. study that has, you know, scientific literature review. I'll link that in the show notes too. We have just as good morbidity and mortality outcomes as people do in the hospitals, except for we have decreased almost every other area of risk. So planned home birth with a certified or licensed care provider in a low risk situation, we have just as good safety and it's pretty great happy happiness outcomes as far as you can look clinically. Happiness outcomes is not that's not a that's not a right way to describe this. 
like satisfaction uh, in your experience or care or something like that. Yeah, part of it is yeah. a huge part of it. And women are not just accepting that we've made it through childbirth alive uh-huh. and well, but there's other factors like satisfaction with your birth, support, and avoiding intervention that have been studied. So super fascinating. We also love evidence-based births. Yeah. They have some information on home birth that I can link in show notes to for you guys. They're all about reviewing scientific literature and uh, summarizing it for us, which is super helpful. That's extra helpful, the summarization. And then if you guys are curious about the, I don't know, golden safety question, what happens if something goes wrong? Yeah, this right. Is- Humbert sounds great unless something happens. Yeah, well, right? then we're going to really wish we were in a hospital, right. which is a really common thing to think and feel. But we debunked that a little bit in an episode that we did for Happy Homebirth Podcast. Mm-hmm. Probably, I mean, we have some great episodes on our own podcast, but... That was one of uh, my favorite episodes to record just because I feel like it hits so many things about midwifery care and so many myths and so many questions that so many of our families and other people have tagged us saying like, oh, I shared that I was having a home birth and then I shared this podcast with my family members or whatever so that they could listen to some of these common myths or concerns that they may have too. Yeah, that's episode 59 of Happy Home Birth podcast, and I will throw that in the show notes for you guys. I hope that you listen to it. I hope so, too. Well, I hope you do. Stats for 2022 of the beautiful one midwifery home birth practice. Do I need to do a drum roll? No. Okay, great. Okay. We served 35 clients. It's pretty. I would say that's pretty average and typical of private home birth practice? Yes. We went through a season of having three midwives on our team, and this was the year that we paired back down to the two of us. And so it maybe not that it felt like more, but it just was, even though that's a, a relatively normal amount for many practices, it also was a full year for us, it felt like. Very full. <laughs> yeah. Very full. Yeah. Uh, the majority of the births that we did were in the first part of the year. Our busiest month was July. Yes, it was. Which was two midwives. It was a two midwife month. And like the timing of everything in July was just the sweetest to see because we were a little anxious about, you know, timing and making sure we were well rested and being able to care for our families as well as caring really well for these wonderful families of ours in our practice. And it was just really sweet the way it all landed. It was intentional. Yeah. It was intentional. And there was like just so much grace. It's beautiful involved in this. So the ages of these women that we served were the youngest client we had was 22. I love that for her. It is so good. Yeah, it's great. If I could have made a choice like that when I was 22, I'd be in a whole lot different position as a 36-year-old. Yes. Um, And our oldest client was 39. In fact, we had three 39-year-olds. Yeah. And I think last year, I don't remember what from before. That's not necessarily the oldest client that we have served, but three clients getting their way towards 40. Yeah, because after 35 in America, you are considered to be advanced maternal age. And that lumps you into a specific type of, quote, high risk situation. Yeah, which can be the case in some care settings, but you're not necessarily higher risk in midwifery care because you have to be really low risk. So age is not necessarily a factor in midwifery care, or we don't treat it that way in ours, but because it's standard to 
make a deal out of it, we share informed consent with our client. Hey, if you were in obstetrical care, these are the things that would be offered mm-hmm. to you because they would consider you higher risk. If you would like to participate in those things in our practice, then it remains available to you. And if you would like us to never bring up your age as a sole risk factor again, then we won't do that. Yep. Happily, we'll not do that. Informed consent. Okay, so we had four first-time moms in that group of women, and we had 16 first-time home birth multips. So a multip is somebody who has had a baby before. Yeah, so 16 of them had had babies before, and then this was their first home birth. Very first home birth. That's cool. And five of these clients were repeat clients for us. So this was either their second or third baby that they had with our practice specifically. So great. Which is the actual joy of doing this work over a period of time. A hundred percent. And then you see the baby from the last birth, you know, like meeting their new little sit. It's just the best. It is. And it just starts to feel like family at that point because you're like, well, we've done this before already. And then we spent so much time together. Getting together to like do our annual birth with you. (laughs) Some of those moms had some really close together um, births, which had their own set of challenges that we walked through, but we didn't have to do the whole getting to know you thing, which should take some time to build relationships. So we get to enjoy the fruit of relationship with repeat clients. Yes, absolutely. So of those 35 clients, we only had 28 actual home births attended. And the reason for that is that four of those clients had early miscarriages, unfortunately. One of those clients transferred before, or no, sorry, transferred in labor After being in labor for 54 hours. Bless her. Yeah. The decision was made to transfer, which is the most common reason to transfer. Go in for some therapeutic rest, a.k.a. epidural, and a little bit of augmentation to, you know, get labor moving. I will never want to speak for those women, but for me as the midwife clinically seeing those kinds of situations play out, I don't think, oh, well, you ended up at the hospital. What a waste of time. I think. Oh, yeah. It is still always better to begin a really hard, long labor at home. A hundred percent. Yes. So thankful that you started here rather than started in that setting where your care just would have been astronomically different from the get-go. Very (laughs) much so. And then kind of a higher number of these for us, we had two moms transfer for water breaking Yes. And one was premature before her due window with us. Mm -hmm. It was at 35. Yes. 35 weeks. Her water broke and her contractions got going. And that's contraindicated for home birth so that baby can just be near resources if they Mm -hmm. need them for any underdeveloped lung situation. So she unfortunately had to have her baby in the hospital, but had a wonderful, wonderful birth in the hospital. All, you know, things said and done. Mm -hmm. And then we had another mom who's water broke and her contractions, just despite all of the things we were doing at home, never got going Mm -hmm. into a significant pattern over the course of a couple of days. Yeah. So they went in for a medical induction. Yeah. Just to get the, get labor going. Yeah. And had a vaginal birth. Beautiful vaginal birth. There were three of those births that we labeled as precipitous, which means less than three hours. And some women hear that and they're like, that's the dream. That can be very intense when 
you are actually experiencing it. Depending yep. on the situation, I would say our precipitous labors, these moms, though, would look back and be like, that was great. Yeah, there was one yeah. client who didn't feel that way. Didn't feel like it was so great. But the other uh, two, yes, yes, yes. the other two, I think, were like, yeah, actually, that was my easiest birth yet. And the the intensity of it that comes so quickly, sometimes your hormones or just your brain just don't quite catch up to what your body is doing. So then all of a sudden, sort of like a hit by a train sensation where you're just like, I am at the mercy of whatever the heck is happening here. And it just feels like it's hard to find your grounding. And so while some women are like, oh, gosh, I would take that any day over, you know, my two day labor, there are pros and cons for all births, right? There's hard things and good things in all experiences. Out of everyone who transferred to the hospital, everyone had a vaginal birth. Crazy. Nobody had any C-sections, which is it's sweet for us to see that happen sometimes because last year, I think we had like seven. Yeah, we had something like we that. Had a lot it was a last crazy year. number that just, of course, we like... Our identity is not in outcomes. We just do our very best and right. we're not in control of all of those pieces, right? But when you see a huge number of C-sections in your practice, it really what? does make you think like, this is absolutely not what we set out to do here. Right. And you see the statistics for home birth and you're like, why are mine triple that? Yeah, why? <laughs> or what? whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. It's good for us to reflect on some of these pieces and to not be prideful about certain things. But when things do go really well, it is right to say there were pieces that led up to this mm-hmm. good experience, right? For sure. And likewise, we didn't have any major complications this year, whereas last year we did. Maybe we should do a 2021 uh, debrief, <laughs> yeah. debriefing sometime. We clearly need it. So. <laughs> just, when the, this entire episode is about how we had better outcomes than last year. So we weren't able to serve any vaginal births after cesareans this year. For whatever reason, we just didn't end didn't up with any. clients who had a previous cesarean. But that is a normal part of our statistics. We take yeah. we take VBACs quite happily and easily. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just for fun, we had six RH negative moms. Yes, who made very varied decisions about what to do about their RH negative status in terms of Prenatal rogam, that option, postpartum rogam, learned all kinds of stuff about how to assess risk and all of that as well, which was a gift for sure. Yeah, it was it was it was a cool thing to navigate. That's on my list of future episodes too. Yeah. Tackling the RH negative thing. Then oh, this is this is one of my favorite statistics, you guys. So we had twenty-eight home births, right? Yeah. Twenty-eight people had their babies with us. We did Four vaginal exams. <laughs> That's pretty great. Four of them. I can remember. I think I did two. I think maybe I did half of them. Yeah. Which is like not much. No, it's not at all. Mm-hmm. And usually, usually first time moms have the longer right. births, have the question marks of like, where's my progress? And they're asking or it becomes helpful sometimes to have some of that data about what the cervix is doing. Yeah. But that was not the case for all of our primips. So we had two primips who had vaginal exams and two multips who had vaginal exams. And that's so great. that means that we had two moms who had never had a baby before have a baby and did not need any vaginal exams during their entire labor. I love 
that statistic because that just that just throws everything in the face of what modern birth culture tells us is like pretty much the most like centric thing to understanding what's happening in labor. Yeah, that's good. The other interesting piece is when people give birth, you know, in midwifery care for the vast majority of women, when labor is initiated and you go into labor, that all unfolds pretty naturally. And we had five moms that were in their 41st week of pregnancy. And it's typical for those to be the first time moms also. First time moms like go over seven to 10 days past their. But these were all moms who had had babies before. Yes. And I can think of a couple of them where I was like, this is surprising to me. And that is a helpful piece for me to always remember of like, no matter what we know about birth or what a textbook says about birth or what I've seen in birth. I don't know anything about how this particular labor is going to unfold. And so there's a piece of humility there, you know, just allowing it to actually unfold and not trying to put my own thoughts onto it. Yeah. yeah. And a few of these moms have had never been this pregnant before. Yeah. And so they're having maybe their third, fourth, fifth baby. And they're like, what gives? And that could, that's an emotional place to be. It's one thing to have your first baby in your 41st plus week. It's quite another to have a history of... 37 week babies and go into post-date situations yeah and there's a purpose there in that Mm -hmm. right and so we can trust that in midwifery care we get absolutely you know continue monitoring the pregnancy carefully but believe that there's a reason that your body and baby have not initiated labor yet it's exciting it is we had 17 boys and 11 girls wow kind of wacky because it usually is pretty close yeah or maybe off by one or two there we was... had a lot and a lot of boys. And yeah, I feel like there was a lot of boys at once, too. There was like a little uh, clump of them. It's exciting. Yep. Sweet. Our smallest baby was six pounds, two ounces. Oh, little baby. It was a tiny little baby. Yeah. And our biggest baby was our last baby of the year. Which I was surprised. I was like, oh, probably high eights looking at the baby. And I was like, oh, nine pounds, six ounces. Nine pounds, six ounces. It's not our biggest baby. No, nope. um, our yeah, biggest but... baby, I think, was 10 pounds, 3 ounces. I thought it was 11. 10, 11? I thought it was up higher in the 10s. Oh, my gosh. I forget. I, blo- I blocked some of that out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was a big baby, beautiful, wonderful baby that has grown into being a giant toddler. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter how big yes, he was exactly. when he was born. And then the shortest labor was oh. 30 minutes. So 30 minutes. 30 minutes. From like, oh. Yeah, mine must be starting labor. And then I think it was like 15 minutes from there to being like, oh, I'm in labor. And someone should, right? That's wild. 30 minutes. I got the call in the middle of the night and they were like, it's going really fast. And I'm like, I'm going as, I'm coming as fast as I can. (laughs) And before I even got on the freeway, (laughs) which literally was probably like four minutes after they called me because I could just tell I needed to like scream before I even can get my car on the freeway they were like baby's here I'm like all right I'll be there in 40 minutes see you soon that's that's another good podcast topic for another day is um what happens if the baby comes before the midwife gets there I will say though file that under the precipitous labor who was like I am so happy with my experience yes that was like her dream it turns out it, it was her dream. Yes. After, they were just so happy. It's been one of the sweetest things to witness how thankful they were for that experience and also just their postpartum and another first home birth. Yeah. Third baby, first mom. home yeah. birth. So great. 
And then we had 13 water births out of 28. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people consider home birth is like uh, you must have a water birth and that is just so not the case. Yes. Probably more people with birth tubs than that, but actually birthing in the water. Yep. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 13 babies were born in the water. Yes. That's a good point. And we had seven postpartum hemorrhages, which means that there's enough active bleeding to either cause symptoms of blood loss, be estimated blood volume loss at between 500 and 1,000 cc's, or we had to do something to intervene. There was enough blood loss that we just clinically felt like we had to do something to intervene. But of those seven women who were losing too much blood, quote unquote, right? We didn't give them any medications in order to stabilize them. So it was never severe enough that they needed Pitocin, which we're very happy to provide. Yes. If it's necessary, that's our first line. And we have no qualms about using it if we need to. Using it if we need to. So sharing that so that you guys can see how normal blood loss is Mm -hmm. and how we can have a somewhat concerning amount of blood loss and have thing that we do and respond to it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to jump straight into pharmaceuticals, right? There's lots of other things that we can do. And then lastly, we had some statistics surrounding rupture of membranes. So the water breaks Mm -hmm. interpartumly. So like during labor or at the beginning of labor and then labor starts, I kind of included all of those together. We had one mom whose water was broken for 40 hours Mm -hmm. and eight of those hours was active labor. Okay. And that was a first-time mom and had no complications related to her water breaking. Yep. So in medical setting of care, you're... Oh, you're put on the clock. Oh, yeah. As soon as your water breaks, you need to come in. You should be on antibiotics. We're really monitoring your progress. we got to push things along if things are not going well. Oh, it's your first labor. That's going to be even more important and and serious. And let us put our fingers into your vagina and check your cervix a bunch of times and potentially introduce lots of problems yeah i'm so, yep. I'm pretty sure we only did one vaginal exam on this mom at the very end because she was feeling discouraged yeah right you were the um primary on that one i felt like there was a time when you announced maybe. a certain amount of oh, gosh. dilation i'm sorry maybe not anyway 40 every out- birth is very important to us and we hold pieces in our hearts but i forgot that little piece uh, we remember things that are so much more important. And the second mom had 39 hours mm-hmm. of total labor and 19 hours of active labor. Ooh. And she was also a primate. 19 hours of active labor. It's intense. Yeah, it is. So just some fun little tidbit about all that. Did I say the last thing I wanted to share was that? Because there's one more statistic that I wrote down. This has to do with vaginal repair. 12 of our clients were completely intact. They had no laceration at all after birth. Amazing. 13 of those clients had first degree tears, which is just involving some of the skin. Yep. Three primips out of four fell into this category of not requiring sutures. Beautiful thing. 75% of the first time moms that we attended this year had needed no suturing. That is wonderful. And two were multi that needed needed suturing. Yep. And thankful that we can provide that. But what a gift to see that that's not always the story. Yeah. And none of the tears were um, second degree. It was all first degree Mm -hmm. tearing. And so some of those first degrees, two of them, we decided that it would be better to help that 
layer come together skin and tissue come back together for whatever reason you guys heard us talking about that a lot in a couple of episodes ago about perennial tearing and healing yep. tearing hate repair repair and healing yeah we're really we're really, i'm remembering uh, all the in, details we're really intimate with the yeah. titles of our <laughs> absolutely episodes. so important okay you guys what a year. Such a year. And such a good year. I hope you guys had a sweet year, too, as you reflect this last week. Before we leave today, we have a really fun thing for you guys to participate in at the very beginning of next month. Yes. So while we're not like huge on, oh, this is a new year, you have to set New Year's resolutions or goals or whatever. But being intentional, there's something nice about a new year starting. There's nothing particularly special about January 1st. That means it's the only time that you can start over on things. But it is a helpful little blank page as you look at the year ahead and what your goals are to be intentional with how you are treating your body and treating your heart and your soul and all of the things. And so we have created an email series for you all to walk along with us in this first month of the year, January. But if you're listening to this at another time, uh, you can jump into this as well about just a major hormonal reset. So a lot of women come into like this new year, I want to lose weight. I want to eat better. I want to do whatever. Not really realizing how vital hormone balance is to all of the pieces I can almost guarantee almost any goal that you may set or intention that you have for this year or desire that you have for this year can kind of trickle back down to hormonal balance and kind of resetting things. And so we want to walk alongside you in that. So in the show notes, you will find a place to sign up for this specific month-long invitation to treat your hormones well and learn some things, hopefully, and see some victories in some of these pieces. So in the show notes, you can sign up to receive these emails. If you're already a part of our email list, you still need to sign up for this particular reset that we have going on. Yeah, we're going to we're going to treat treat the list of signups to the hormone reset. Merry Christmas. Yes. Merry Merry December 26th. Yep. Everybody. And um, we also have some really great episodes coming up in January about hormone stuff. So it, this is a great time to jump in to yes focusing on some of this if that's been on your heart and mind yeah and you guys are going to find all the other goodies in the show notes too treasure trove and we will be chatting with you again in the new year happy new year ladies bye